Good morning. It is a uh, it is a Sunday of unity. We are going to go and stand side by side with our brothers and sisters of color, and uh, in a symbol of unity, we're going to worship together, which all of you know doesn't happen on Sundays usually. So it's going to be an important morning for us and for them and for God's church. Uh, John, thank you for that. I, I hadn't even thought um, about my message in light of the word unity. Because my message is, Christianity is about a promise, not a cause. Not a cause. Not a cause. Christianity is about a promise, not a cause. You need to know that this morning. We need to know that. It's about a promise, not a cause. (laughs) The time came this week, Wednesday. I was going to get my new Apple iPhone 6 Plus. I... I know you've heard me say a few times in my messages, I have turned that Apple iPhone 6 Plus into an idol. It is a large idol in my life. I wanted one. I saw other people with them. All the cool church people had them. (laughs) People told me if I wanted to be cool, I needed one. Um, Everybody on staff, I think, has got one. So anyway, Wednesday was the day. I go to the Apple store, uh, excited about my new iPhone 6 Plus. I greet the salesman who I had met before when I was circling the store one time, just looking at him through the glass case. And I tell him, I announce, I'm here to get my iPhone 6 Plus. And at that very moment, uh, the double doors of the AT&T store opened, and a man named Brad walked in. A man named Brad. Brad's homeless. Brad smelled like six Saturdays worth of beer or alcohol. You could smell him when he walked in the door. He was crying. He was crying, and he was holding his phone up that wasn't working. And he was walking toward my salesman. And I thought, please, Lord, I want this phone. Now, here comes this homeless guy, and he's bawling, and um, he tells the salesman, I, my phone's not working. And the salesman and the other salesman in the room, I could tell um, those that weren't making their way to the walls of the room, um, had knew Brad, because Brad had been in there before, and this problem that Brad was having, his phone not working, was not a new problem for Brad. And so my salesman, like a priest, lovingly looked at Brad and said, uh, I'll fix your phone for you, Brad. Let me call your stepmother, and I, she'll help me get it turned back on, and everything will be okay. And he walked away, and there I was face-to-face with Brad. And he looked at me and said, are you a clergyman? And I had my collar and shirt and everything on, and I was trying to be cute. And this is one of those moments where the Lord, I wish he would have blown an air horn and gone, don't be cute. But I was trying to be cute, and I went, no, I work here. Standing there in my collar and black shirt. (laughs) I thought it might make Brad laugh. He started to cry. He said, "I, I really need prayer. Yeah. I said, oh, okay. And so I walked over to him, and I said, I'll pray for you, what's wrong? He said, my dog and my girlfriend were killed last night. My dog and my girlfriend were killed last night. Right there on interstate, the overpass on uh, exit 199, uh, Melody, Melanie Holiday and Brad's dog, or her dog, were killed. Brad and Melody are homeless. They've been homeless. He's been homeless for a long time since getting out of prison. He lives in a little community of guys that gather around the Home Depot woods. You probably heard about them in the paper or seen them wandering around Somerville. They're out there living, and they've been living there for nine months. They were over at the truck stop, the uh, gas station, doing their laundry and taking showers, and were coming back across the interstate walking, and the dog ran out in front of a car, got hit. Melody, without thinking, ran out to grab her dog, and the next car hit Melody. Man, I tell you, I stood there with uh, smelly Brad bawling all over my new clergy shirt, and I'm bawling, and uh, I could see Jesus standing behind Brad looking at me going, Gary, what are you going to do? 
Gary, attend to this man's needs first, then you can get that silly phone. Because, this is what I swore I heard Jesus say, because, Gary, serving others is what you are called to do. Now, this is the crucial point. We are called, all of us who call ourselves Christians, we are called by God's promise, not by God's cause. Now, you can restate it. You can say we're called by God's promise into God's cause. We're called into the cause. We're called into the cause of homelessness. We're called into the cause of feeding the poor. We're called into the cause of coming alongside each other in grief. But we're called by God's promise. Because if we're called by a cause, we're in trouble. Causes come and go. Causes come and go. Polio, for instance. A hundred years ago, polio was on the front of every medical magazine or journal. The eradication of polio was a cause for which everybody in medicine was eager to see completed. And thank God, today, it's eradicated essentially in our culture. We don't worry about polio anymore, do we? We don't have polio telethons. People don't mail us things that ask us to give to the Polio Foundation. Polio, that cause, that disease, thank God, has been essentially eliminated in our society. Causes come and go. Christianity is not based on a cause. The Apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians. Paul says if we're basing our faith, if we're basing our lives on anything but the promise of Jesus Christ and the person of Jesus Christ, we're to be the most pitied. He says, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our faith is futile. We're still in our sins. If Jesus isn't who he says he is and Jesus hasn't done what he has done, we're stuck. We're dead. We're dead people. But I think some of us, I know I do, treat our faith at times like a cause. I, I, I treat it like the National Kidney Foundation or the SPCA or the American Cancer Society. Um, it's one of these things that I just kind of put in line and say, okay, Sunday I'm going to go and sit in church and worship and everything because I'm, I'm for what the church stands for. I'm all about what the church stands for. But know this, and those of you that know what I'm saying, this will prick your heart. The faith has not grown because of the cause. The faith has grown because you and I have met or heard the risen Jesus. We've met him in Alpha. We've met him with friends at coffee. We've met him at those most desperate moments in our life in the hospital. We've heard his voice. We have met the person. We have heard his voice. We've read in his word the promises, and they mean the truth to our lives. That's what Christianity is about. That's about a promise. Now, the big word, the theological word for promise is atonement. And I thought to myself, how long could I preach about atonement before 30% of the congregation fell asleep? Probably not long. Uh, atonement simply means for Christians to be back in relationship with our Creator, we are back in relationship with our creator. Now this word promise, this word, it's a big word. You may have heard me tell this story before, but I, in my early Alpha days, I was um, giving a talk and Mike Lumpkin was there, our former rector, and I, I must have used the word promise several times. I think I was talking about the Holy Spirit weekend, and I said, if I, I promise if you come to the Holy Spirit weekend, you'll have a great time. And after the talk, Mike came up and looked at me and said, Gary, great talk, but you really ought to consider taking that word promise out of your vocabulary. And it was a tough word for me. I was a salesman. And so I just was trained to say promise. I promise this will work. I promise you'll get better. I promise Doc will be at the patient's house. You know, I promise, I promise, I promise. It was a very difficult word to eliminate for me. He said, it's a heavy word, Gary. It's a big word. It's a covenant word. 
It's really a word that only God has the capacity to, to uphold. Only God really can keep promises. And think about it. Promises are those big things that get us married. We get married because of promises. We have, we have best friends in life because of promises, not causes. A cause may have brought us together, but we stay together because of the promises that we make for one another. Promises are eternal. Promises go on forever and forever and forever. Make no mistake, John the Baptist, in our gospel this morning, is in jail because of a promise. He is not interested in a cause. He's my favorite guy in the Bible, save Jesus. I know that question. If you could go to lunch with three people, who would you go with? And everybody always has to start with Jesus. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, I, I would definitely put Jesus at the top. But right under Jesus, for me, John the Baptist. I love that guy. He is insane. He is single-minded to the point of being overly annoying. He, but here's the cool part. He's annoying the king's wife. He's annoying her to death. You know why? Because he's essentially standing outside the window of the palace going, adulterer, you're an adulterer. That's annoying. I mean, if you're divorced and you remarry, would you like to have me or Tyler or John stand out in front of your house going, adulterer? I make my point humorously, but I mean, that's what John's doing. And she's sick of it. She's left her first husband, who is the king's brother. She's gone and married the king, and she has this beautiful daughter. I mean, reality TV's got nothing on Scripture, folks. Turn your TV off and just read Samuel. I was reading that the other day. Samuel, this short little guy who I always picture as Samuel Hunter, that cute little kid in our church, he, he cuts this king to pieces with a sword. I, I, like, wow, I didn't, you know, I didn't. So Scripture is amazing, and Scripture is true, and Scripture is gritty. And so there's this John the Baptist. He's in jail, and he's there because of a promise. He's there because of a promise. John knows that following a cause isn't going to do a bit of good for what God, like Amos, has called him into doing. God's called him to be a mouthpiece and to remind the world, no, not just remind, to drive home the point that the problem, the biggest cause of all, is sin. Sin, sin, sin is the problem. John wants everybody to know it. And it can't be resolved, sin can't be resolved by us championing cause. We know that. You can't talk people into behaving better. We can't talk people in. We can't make them sign things. We can't get them to do things. Doctors know this. You send them out of the office with a prescription and say, take these pills. They don't come back the same way. I mean, people won't do what's best for them. I, we don't. We don't do what's best for us. Sin's not going to go away by trying to talk people in and out of it. It's only going to be affected by the promise of Jesus Christ. John knows that. And John wants to be so certain that he sends his ambassadors out. He sends his disciples out to meet with Jesus in the wilderness. And I imagine if, if John could have gotten Jesus to come to the jail, John would look at Jesus through those bars. I've been out to Lieber and given cookies to some of the guys on death row, and they open this little door, and it's not any bigger than this paper, and they, and they get down and peer at you, and you peer at them, and they're, they're grasping the bars. And I imagine if John the Baptist could have had Jesus come to him, that's what it would have looked like. He was in this dungeon, this high dungeon, in one of Herod's beautiful palaces. And John was probably sweaty and stinky, a little like Brad, although he didn't smell of alcohol. And Jesus would come and John would be standing there with his beard and his cuts and his scrapes and his smell and he would look through the windows of that cell and he would ask Jesus, are you the one? Not what do you stand for. Are you the promised one? The one promised by the Father to save and redeem the world. Are you him? Are you the reconciler? Are you the prince of peace? Are you the one? Well, when John's disciples go, they come back and say, yes, John, he's the one. 
We saw him do those things that the scriptures tell us only the Messiah can do. We saw him heal people. We saw the lame walk. We saw the blind get their sight. Yes, John, he is the one. John is in jail because of the promise of who Jesus is, not because of the cause. If we'd have read our Ephesians passage this morning, you would have heard in those verses the, the three pieces of the promise, the three elements of God's promise. They're beautifully written in Ephesians. I commend them to you. Uh, go home today, read the first chapter of Ephesians. One of the most interesting things about it is in our right to communion, you hear said from the altar table, in him we have received so forth and such and such. In him we have done this. Well, if you look at that first chapter of the first of, of the beginning of the letter that I'm talking about, um, you'll see these same words pulled from Scripture that have been put into our communion. Paul says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The number one piece of the promise is we have been made right in front of the Creator. Washed in the blood of Jesus, we can now stand there in his presence. Otherwise, no way. First part of the promise, we are redeemed by his blood. Paul goes on to say in verses 11 and 12, in him we were chosen. And here's the best news for some of us. We were chosen for an inheritance. Imagine great Aunt Bessie dies in Kansas and you haven't seen great Aunt Bessie for 20 years and the lawyer calls you and says, uh, Monty, I've got great news. I mean, sad news. Aunt Bessie's died. The good news is she's left you $10 million. I love Aunt Bessie, right? Mommy? Yeah, an inheritance. I didn't even know about it. I didn't know Aunt Bessie had any money. I didn't know Aunt Bessie loved me that much. But I've got $10 million waiting on me, or Monty does. Um, that's what Paul is saying to us. In Christ, we have an inheritance that we can get today that lasts forever. We never have to get up in the morning and check our bank accounts. In Him. In Him, we have an inheritance. Of, it's infinitely more valuable than anything we have on earth. More valuable than our marriage. It's more valuable than our children. In Him, in Christ, we have this inheritance. And the third piece is that he promises it. The good news is Gary's not promising it. Tyler and John aren't promising it. Lyndon Jack. Jesus is making the promise. We can trust it. He seals it with his Holy Spirit. We've been given his spirit as a sign. Tyler came last week to St. Timothy's. We had uh, four, 38 people. Not bad. Everybody always asks me how many people you got. We had 38 people last week. And Tyler came and helped with the baptism, and he sealed that baby and made the sign of the cross, an outward invisible sign of the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a promise from God. Three, three ways it comes to us, through our redemption, through our inheritance, and through the seal that he gives us. So here is atonement in a nutshell. Here's that big word, atonement in a nutshell, and these aren't my words. These are a friend of mine from seminary, uh, the bishop's son who I occasionally reach out to when I'm getting stuck in my studies. And so I called him three days ago. He was in the car. He answered, and this is how brilliant he is. If he would have called me and said, Gary, this is what I asked him. I said, Joe, give me two sentences. If you could come to our church and just say two sentences about atonement so that people would get it, what would you say? Well, if he had asked me that question, I'd have been like, atonement? Wait a minute, I gotta look that word up first. And then, No. Joe went, well, Gary, I think what I would wanna say is this, and I'm gonna read it twice. Atonement is about the one who is life itself, Jesus, identifying with those of us who are dying so that we can share in his life and be more alive now 
than ever. Atonement is about the one who is life itself, the truth, the life, and the way. Atonement is about the one who is life itself, Jesus identifying with those of us who are dying so that we can share in his life and be more alive now than ever. Amen? Yeah. So because of the promises of Jesus, we're set free to do his work. He uses us yesterday at the food distribution. He uses us at Grief Share and Alcoholics Anonymous, Al-Anon that goes on this campus. We're carrying out his cause when we feed the poor. We're doing that, though, because of the promise. So we're going to leave here in a little while, some of us, and we're going to go over to Baum's Temple. We're not going over there because of the cause of racial reconciliation. It's a great cause. It's a great cause. God wants the races to be reconciled, but that's not why we're doing it. We're doing it because of the promise that Christ has given us, the promise of who he is. It's the only difference, it's the only truth that makes a difference in our life. You know, sadly, politicians talk about, well, this needs to last, I hope this goes on. They know that causes come and go. But the promise of Jesus, brothers and sisters, is eternal. I want us this morning to leave here and be like John the Baptist in prison a little bit. I've had lunch and dinner and breakfast with a lot of y'all. We've shared intimate stories. And when you're at those places in your life where divorce is imminent, or your loved one is dying, or your children have done something that you, where where you're at those crucial moments in your life, you need to know, we need to know that we can trust Jesus and the promise. We need to be like John looking through the bars of the prison. Are you who you say you are? Are you the reconciler? Are you the redeemer? It's the only thing that'll save me. The truth about who he is and the truth about his promise. So I pray we deeply believe that today. If you don't believe the promise, call me, call John, call Tyler. If you've never thought about it, call us. I want to talk to you about it. But when we believe the promise, we take the worst cause, the worst of all, sin, and we put it in its right place. We put it under the feet of Jesus. Sin goes under his feet when we believe that promise. Amen? Amen. Amen. John has a vision in the book of Revelation that before the throne of God, every tongue, tribe, and nation will be worshiping together. Um, This will not come to full fruition in this lifetime, um, but it is is ours to to vision from time to time, and that's what we're going to do this morning. And so most of you are aware, but in case you weren't, um, we're going now over to Baum Temple, AME Zion Church, which is, um, it's over on West First North Street. I've still not figured that out. <laughs> I think it's West First North Street, if that makes sense to Somerville folks. Um, but it's over by the sawmill. Y'all know where that is. Um, <clears throat> and so if you want to join us, we're, many of us are going to go hop in our cars, and we're going to go over there now and worship with them. Um, if you are not up for joining us, if you can't join us, if you, if you have other plans going on, that, that's fine. And you can stay here, and we're going to have communion. Um, let's finish this service out just like normal. Um, but, but during this piece now, when people leave, you know what we're doing. Um, so I'm going to pray, and I'm going to offer the peace, and then if you're coming with us, now would be the time to leave. Oh, sorry. John, yes. One piece of information before we uh, have the prayer and the peace. Directly across Maple <coughs> Street from Baum Temple uh, is Keystone Pole Yard, uh, and they have graciously left their fenced-in parking lot open for us right. this morning. So that when you go over there, you can pull into a keystone and go into the fenced-in parking lot, which is right off of the street. So 